Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today I'm going to cover Dangerous Liaisons by Pierre Chaudelot de Laclos. Yeah, you thought I was going to try to pronounce that, didn't you? Nah, not going to happen. This was book 39 for my 2021 reading list. Well, this book was a late addition to my 2021 reading list, and it's maybe a book that I wouldn't normally have on my radar. First, I had never even heard of it until recently. And then secondly, it's one of those books that's just on a lot of the banned books lists. So for instance, the Vatican had it as a prohibited book until the 1960s when they stopped having that having that list. So it is a bit racy at times, but it also has some really important lessons and some some neat ideas that are, are that I hope to cover in this episode. I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, it and, and it surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting much from the book. And I, I, I have to say at the end of it, I, I really enjoyed it. So I've been invited to this conference that's taking place next month in December of 2021 in New Orleans, and there are 15 other people coming, and we have a four-book reading list in which we have to read before we get there so we can discuss these four books. So it's almost like going back to school. It's like that summer before school where you have this this reading list that you have to do so then you can discuss the books. I can't wait. I, I this, this is totally up my alley and I think it's going to be really fun. But this one is the first of the four books. Then the th- the second book is The Theory of Moral Sentiments by Adam Smith. The third one, Essays, Moral, Political, and Literary by David Hume. And then the fourth one is The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. So the first one is this one, Dangerous Liaisons, and, and that is a novel. And then you've got two books of moral philosophy by Adam Smith and David Hume, and then another novel to, to close things out. So this book, this first one, is it really sets the tone for the other three. And it's neat. I, I'm, I'm maybe a third of the way through the theory of moral sentiments. And it's neat just to, to I, I guess, almost get more in depth into the characters by, by looking at some moral philosophy. And so that, that's been a neat part. And, and that's uh, what we will be discussing in this, in this conference. But I wanted to highlight this book on the podcast too, just the things that really stuck out to me and, and then share some of those ideas. So in the rest of this episode, I will, uh, I'll give a little introduction to the book because like I said, I had never heard of this book and I'm assuming uh, that some of you may not have either. So go into a brief about the book and about the author. And then in the final two segments of this episode, in segment two, I'll cover the the ideas that stuck out to me. And then in the final segment, I'll cover the one thing, the, the one key takeaway from this book. So just a few details about the book here. First off, it's an epistolary novel. And all that means is that it's a novel based upon documents, and in this case, letters. So if you've read the New Testament, you know that there are these letters called epistles that uh, Paul wrote to, to, to some of the churches. And so an epistolary novel just means it's one that's based off of letters. And what that means is that the book is just there's no narrator, you know, kind of weaving everything together. It's just you're reading letters between the main characters. And that's what sets the story in motion. And what's really cool about that is that you are seeing 
perhaps the same event from different vantage points. So something may happen and you you read it from three different viewpoints, from three different people writing letters about that event. Uh, but you also see the intentions of the people. So there, there's the actions, there's the, the, the action, the things that are actually taking place. But then in, in these letters, you're actually seeing why people are doing what they're doing, why they're doing the actions, the intentions and the motives behind those actions. So it's it's really fascinating. And, and I loved that aspect of it. And, it. and it was just one that it made it hard to put the book down because you're just like, you know, what's going to happen next? And, and you're, you're reading it through these, these letters. So quick, quick overview of the story. There, are, there are a lot of characters, but there are five main ones. So I'm just going to highlight these five main characters quickly, and then uh, a brief overview of the story. And please forgive me, this is a French book with French names, and I barely speak English. So just give me some grace on these pronunciations here. But the first character is the Marquise de Mertuyel. And she is a widow. And so I'm going to, and I'm also going to give these characters other names for the purpose of this episode, just to make it easier for, for us to, to remember them and, and what they are. So, so uh, Mertuiel, I'm going to call her Mertuiel the Seductress. And in her time of being a widow, she goes around Paris and tries to seduce men. And it's not for the purpose of finding another husband. It's for the purpose of seducing and ruining. And that is both her and the second character's main goal in this book. Second character's name is the Vicomte Valmont. And he, I'm going to call him Valmont the seducer. So Valmont is is a man, the, the first Mertuiel that is a woman. Uh, so Velmont is the seducer and Velmont and Mertuiel, they are friends, but they're more than friends. They are also lovers, but they also have this relationship of where they try to, to help each other seduce other people, which leads us to the other three characters in the book. The third one is Madame de, Tur de, de Tourvel. And Madame in French just means that she's married, but her husband is away for this entire book. So that opens the door for Velmont, the seducer, to seduce this married woman, Madame de Tourvel, who wants nothing to do with him at the beginning and uh, has heard of his reputation and does not want to, to take him in, but eventually does. Fourth character, Cecile. I'm going to call her young Cecile because she's 15 years old. She's fresh out of the convent and her mother is, is kind of arranging things so that she can get married. So she's young and naive, but she wants to be married and wants to fall in love. But things are, things are kind of going to be arranged for her, which makes things difficult when the fifth character comes into play. And his name is Danceny. I'm going to call him Young Danceny. And he is Cecile's music teacher. And the two of them fall in love. And through their letters, you see this young, perhaps naive, longing and love and the two of them are in love. But Mertuiel, the seductress, and Velmont, the seducer, are they're trying to get for Velmont to seduce both of these women, both young Cecile and Madame, the married Tervel. So that's that's the setup. Through these letters, you see you see this young puppy love between the the, the young characters. Um, you see the Mertuiel, the seductress, and Velmont, the seducer, writing to each other on how they're going to to ruin these these women, and it's just a fascinating look at 
at uh, at these different ways of living, and I'm going to get into more of that in the in the second segment here. So the author, as the, uh, I had help at the very beginning with the pronunciation, I will give it a try here. Coderu de Laclou. I butchered that. I'm sorry, but he's a French author. Born in 1741, died in 1803. He spent most of his life in the army, but he would always write in his free time. This is his main—I think he only did one novel, or or at least one that that had success like this, and uh, this was published in 1782, Dangerous Liaisons was, and it it was pretty— immediately successful. Uh, It was also a bit scandalous and was said to have played a part in the French Revolution. Uh, I find that a little bit hard to believe, but the the reasoning behind that is is that this portrayed the aristocracy in a way of uh, just no morals, like just whatever goes. And that was the portrayal of the aristocracy. It certainly probably didn't help things that if people are reading this book and like, wait, this is how they're living. This is awful. And so I could see how it played a part in the French revolution, but, um, but yeah, it it was written in 1782. So around, uh, you know, decade, uh, a little more than a decade before everything started spiraling in January of 1800, he became the brigadier general in the Army of the Rhine under, under a young general who was recently appointed the first consul, and he went by the name of Napoleon. So yes, this author worked directly for Napoleon, which is just kind of a neat neat part of history there. As for stats for this book, it took me 14 hours and 55 minutes to read it. I read it between November 4th and the 14th. That's 37 pages per day. It's a 409-page book. Warning, I will be giving away spoilers in this episode, so if you do plan to read the book, please hit pause and come back when you finish. I would not want to ruin the storyline for you. So next we'll get into some of the main ideas in this book. There is something that becomes almost immediately apparent in this book. And that is that the main characters are existing in completely different sets of principles. I'm going to call this their moral universe. And each character in this book has a moral universe that is built upon the principles by which they live. So early in the book on page 26, uh, in, in speaking of Valmont, the, uh, this the statement is made, his conduct is the result of his principles. End quote. And so this conduct, everyone kind of knows his reputation of being a seducer, but um, but they say that's based upon his principles. So you see his principles throughout the book. And in fact, I just started making a list of, okay, these are the principles of this man. This, this is what is guiding his life. And here are the results. And what's really fascinating in this book is that everyone is trying to convert the other to their moral universe. So each each person has this guiding set of principles, some, some good, some just pure evil, uh, but th- they all are trying to convert other people to their moral universe. And uh, deeper into that, the, the principled people, so, so say, say the young... Uh, young Cecile and young Danceny say that they're kind of the the more principled people in the book, uh, and then also with Madame de Tourvel, the the married woman, they they seem to have the principles. They seem to be the ones with the rules. 
but both sides have rules. And I, I don't know, I guess for me, it's, it's easy to think that the, the side with, with, with the evil intention that they don't have rules. It's almost like an, an amorality where there's nothing guiding them. They're just doing whatever they want. But in reality, they have a very strict set of guidelines and rules and principles by which they, they live by. And it, it, it's not this complete absence of morals, but it, but it is a very strict set of principles and and each is trying to convert the others there's not just like the good side trying to convert the bad side to their side no it's the bad side trying to convert the good side to the, to their side as well and that's a very very base kind of simplification of what happens in this book but it did stick out to me that that idea that uh, that both sides had had very strict principles the, another Another thing that stuck out in that with this with this idea of this moral universe guiding the different the different characters and, and there being a clear distinction, I kept hearing this this quote in my head of and never the twain shall meet. And so I looked up that quote and, and what it what it's from, and it's from Kipling, and the full quote goes like this Oh, East is East and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. And in uh, end quote. And basically the idea there is that when Two things or people are so different that to they're so different that they should not exist alongside or by each other. And I kept thinking about this, about that idea in this book, that the the seducers they should not they should not exist alongside the young Cecile and young Danceny because the young uh, the young characters they they don't have it in their mind yet that people can be like that. And so when these two moral universes mix and and clash there is destruction in in the wake. Because uh, so say young Cecile, she's a very poor reader of people throughout throughout the book. And and part of that is because she trusts in in just the general goodness of people because to, to an extent, she's she's good. So she almost can't even fathom what the seducer would be trying to do to her. And there's a quote on page 69 that says this, your very integrity lets you down because of the sense of security it gives you. Your very integrity lets you down because of the sense of security it gives you, end quote. And if I recall correctly, that is is for uh, about the, the married the married woman there. But but just this idea that that there's a sense of security because of this idea of of goodness and and so if this moral universe of 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 these lovebirds these young lovebirds mixes with this moral universe of a man and a woman getting together to for the sole purpose of trying to seduce and ruin these people those two should not meet because there is destruction in the wake of that so that's the first idea around this moral universe second idea is is uh Throughout the book, the characters keep mentioning peace and happiness. And it, it's just interesting to view these ideas throughout the book because everybody's talking about it. The seducers and those who are being sought after to be seduced. So what does peace and happiness come from? Does it come from obtaining what you want? Does it come in obtaining those illicit pleasures? Or does happiness mean being at peace with oneself? Or is it found 
in God? Is peace and happiness found in God? And we see in different characters all of these all of these ideas mentioned. And so I want to read some of these quotes here. So the first is a letter from Velmont to Mertuiel. And again, these are the two seducers. And here's what Velmont says to her. I really need to have this woman. And taking myself out of the quote, the woman he's talking about here is the married woman, Madame de Tourvel. So he says, I really need to have this woman to save me from the stupidity of being in love with her. For where does frustrated desire lead a man? Oh, delicious pleasure. Come to me, I implore you, make me happy, a happy man, and above all, bring me peace. End quote. So to him, he, he, he wants to have this. He needs to possess this woman to make him a happy man and to give him peace. So that for, for Valmont, that is his idea of happiness and peace, to, to, to have and ruin another person. And, and he says that throughout the book. His, his goal is always, it's not just to, to seduce, it's to seduce and ruin. Next one is uh, Danceny, so young Danceny to young Cecile. And he says this, peace has fled far from me and my happiness hangs in the balance, end quote. And he's writing here, they, they've been away from each other for a while and they've had to write letters, so they haven't been able to see each other. And because of that, his, his peace has fled, peace has had fled far from him and his happiness hangs in the balance. And so just this idea that his peace and happiness uh, can be found in being together with with young Cecile. Next, um, pr- uh, um, Tur- Tur- Turvel, uh, the married married Turvel, she writes this: If keener pleasures than these exist, I do not desire them. Can there be a sweeter pleasure than to be at peace with oneself? End quote. And here she's writing to Velmont, and Velmont, Velmont is the seducer is trying as hard as he can to get her. And she just keeps saying no. She says, you know, if, if you really cared for me, you would just leave me alone. I'm, I'm married. You just stop. But he doesn't. He keeps pursuing. And he, she, she comes to this point. She says, if keener pleasures than these exist. So if keener pleasures that he's offering her exist, I do not desire them. And then she makes the statement, can there be a sweeter pleasure than to be at peace with oneself? So here we're looking at, at, at happiness and peace, and there's this temptation for other desires or other pleasures, but if you're at peace with yourself, should you pursue those? That, that's her question. Later on, we have another one from, from Velmont, the seducer, to Mertuiel, the seductress, and he says this, There is no more peace, no more happiness for me unless I possess this woman whom I hate and love with equal passion. End quote. And you see this throughout, just over and over. Uh, his peace and his happiness are in the subjugation of the woman he's pursuing at that time. Next up, we have Father Anselm, who is is kind of a spiritual break in the book. He um, And he says this, It is with his help, uh, speaking of God, so it is with God's help that I hope soon to persuade you that it is the holiness of religion alone that can give you this, in this world, the solid and lasting happiness that one seeks vainly in the blindness of human passions. It is with his help that I hope to persuade you that it is the holiness of religion alone that can give you this world, the solid and lasting happiness that one seeks vainly in the blindness of human passions, end quote. So that's another view of, of where peace and happiness can come from 
that's presented in this book. The next one is Tervel's letter. So uh, again, Madame Tervel, the, the married, married Tervel. And this is the letter to, well, we don't really know. She's just kind of ranting and raving. It's kind of a, a you, you can see that she's writing to Velmont, the seducer. She's writing to just everyone in general. She's writing to God. And she makes this statement, but this is in a part that it's it's quite clear it's to Velmont, the seducer, who has at this point ruined her. And she says this, I was innocent and at peace. Though seeing you, I lost my peace of mind. By listening to you, I became a criminal. So again, she, uh, end quote. So again, she she goes back to her earlier quote I read where she was at peace. So, you know, what are, what keener pleasures than these, if they do exist, I don't want them. But she she falls into them and uh, she says, I was at innocent and at peace, but I lost that. One of the very last lines of the book is this, and this is, uh, yeah, here, here we go. So it, it, it is that if we knew that our true happiness, what our true happiness consists in, we should never seek it outside the limits prescribed by the law and religion. One more time. It is that if we knew what our true happiness consists in, we should never seek it outside the limits prescribed by the law and religion, end quote. So just uh, need to see this idea pop up over and over through the different characters in their letters with, with one another of where do peace and happiness come from? And does it come from seeking after and obtaining what you want uh, does it come through a, does happiness come through a peace, a, a, a peace with yourself and the decisions you've made, or is it found in God? These are all different ideas presented in the book. The final idea I want to highlight here is that of repentance. And perhaps I should start by saying a, a lack of repentance. So the seducer and the seductress, they... Well, the seducer Velmont, he dies. He is killed by young Danceny. Young Danceny finds out that he has been seducing Cecile the whole time, and he kills him. And so he, so he's he's dead. But but in that, so in young Danceny stabs him. He stabs him twice, but he lives for a little time. Velmont, and as far as we can tell, he does not repent. In fact, he kind of uses that last time to. Um, to give letters to Danceny to show what, what um, Mertuiel, the seductress, had been doing all along. So in, in his last moments, he's seeking to ruin someone else. Uh, Mertuiel, she, she lives, uh, but we'll find out what happens to her in the, in the next segment. But she goes and she moves to Holland. And the... The idea there is that she's just going to keep continuing doing what she's doing, but she's not going to be doing it in Paris anymore. She's she's going to to Holland. There wasn't some deathbed confessional, and 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 you, you kind of wonder the whole the whole time, like how, how are these how is this going to end up? And then with Velmont dying and, and actually having some time to to say something or to repent, you, you just kind of wonder, you know, is he gonna is he gonna repent of what he's done to all these women throughout his whole life or or not. And so that's interesting. And I want to contrast that with Cecile, young Cecile and young Danceny, because in their way, they, they do repent. So young Cecile is seduced by, by, uh, Velmont and, 
she she comes to to the point where she just is she knows she's ruined and young Danceny as well he gets seduced actually by by uh, Mertuio, the seductress and what happens with young Cecile and young Danceny who were once so madly in love is that they each go their respective ways to uh, uh, to a convent and then young Danceny goes away uh, to 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 be separated from people and from from what I gathered uh, was to go to a, a a a spiritual place. So they're in their way are repenting, and yet they were the ones who, in in a way, were the victims in this novel. So the the seducer and the seductress did not feel bad. They did not they did not repent at the end. Whereas the the two who were victimized they were the ones that that actually repented. And I, I just found that to be very interesting. Uh, there wasn't this dead, deathbed confessional for Valmont. And you, you would think there would be. If, you know, if anyone was to repent in this book, you would think it would be the two who had done the seducing. But it wasn't. It was the two who had been the victims. Now into segment three, and the one thing, my one key takeaway from Dangerous Liaisons. Well, have you read the book, The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde? Uh, this book, Dangerous Liaisons, reminded me a lot of that book. And in Dorian Gray, there is a young man who, who lives a debauched life. And he's out all night, he's carousing, he's drinking, he's with women, he's... he's He's doing all sorts of stuff. And throughout the book, he, he keeps doing these things and nothing happens to his appearance. He'll be up all night, but then that next morning he's, he looks fresh, looks like he hasn't done anything, and, uh, and nothing happens to his physical appearance throughout the book. But there is a picture of Dorian Gray. There's a painting of Dorian Gray in a closet. And everything that is happening to Dorian Gray's soul is being portrayed on that picture. It's not being portrayed on him, the, the, his body, his, his actual person, but it's happening on this picture. And so over time, this picture just, it, it, you see this man like just becoming decrepit and, and just nasty. And it comes to the point where Dorian Gray goes in this closet, he, he stabs the painting and, and ends up killing himself because that that's him. That's that's his soul. And, and maybe you couldn't see it on his body, but his soul was was deterior, deteriorating as he was as he was living the way he was. In the end of this book, there was there was a there was a similar a similar thing that happened. And it, it it's with uh, the Marquis the de Mertuiel, the, the so Mertuiel, the seductress. And she gets smallpox at the at the end of the book. She recovers from it, but her face becomes disfigured. And for a woman who is a seductress throughout the book, uh, her looks are are very important to her, and, and she becomes disfigured. And someone makes a statement at the at the at the end of the book saying this: her illness had turned her inside out, and that presently her soul was in her face. Her illness had turned her inside out and that presently her soul was in her face. End quote. And that's the thing that stuck out to me the most. Um, this, this, this woman throughout this, this woman 
the seductress, she throughout the book, she she's she maintains a level of of respect. Um, she's she's close with a lot of the different people in the book, even while she's seeking to to destroy them. And so on the outside, uh, and without the insight of these letters, you you could you could see a a woman that appears in a very different light than what she actually was. And so just that imagery of her soul coming out of her body and, and coming like inside out onto her face. And so the, the devastation brought by smallpox was actually a good picture of what was happening to her soul. That, that, that stuck out to me and, and was just kind of a, a, a very interesting ending to the book because she does live, uh, Vilmont, the seducer is, is murdered but she lives, but she lives with that disfiguration of her face that to one observer looked like the soul had been flipped outside of her body. The brilliance of this author was that in a lot of the letters, Velmont, the seducer, and Danceny, so young Danceny, the, the, the lovebird, they're saying very similar things to the women they are pursuing but they are moving in completely different directions and in completely different ends. Young Danceny is, is in love, in true love with young Cecile. Velmont is seeking to seduce the woman he's going after, but they're saying the same thing. And, and it's just so interesting to see that because how, how do you tell the difference? If, if you don't have insight into Velmont's other letters, on, on, on where he's actually giving the truth of what he's doing and, and seeking to destroy these women. How, how do you know a, a person like Valmont is, how, how do you know that? And how can you tell the difference between intentions and actions? And to that, you, you really have to look at the fruit. And that, that's the beauty of this book is that you see from the from the start to the end and you can see the fruit of the of the approaches and the fruit of the approach of the seducer and the seductress is death and darkness and the people that they seduce the end result the fruit of that is death and darkness and loneliness and seeking redemption and seeking atonement for what has happened to them. They both end up in monasteries. Um, but that, but, but that is the way that you can see the difference where is it may not be visible on, on the front. You, you, you can take, you can look in deeper and look at the fruit of what they're doing and what that, what that leads to. And that was just a neat thing that happened in this book is and, and just the brilliance of the author of of being able to show two people saying very similar things but the the outcomes being completely different i found that to be really really interesting so to recap i, I really enjoyed this book the the epistolary novel setup provided a really unique look in a, in a multifaceted view of these characters and then the things they did and the events that took place in the book. I mean, you, you, you saw things from a number of different angles and that was just, that was a neat, a neat way to, to, to read a novel. Uh, a lot 
of of morality in this book uh, of of a moral universe of of ways of of living and just this this insight to see that it doesn't matter if 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 they were on a good side of it or on a bad side each one was trying to get the other onto their side there wasn't this neutral like well they're just they're amoral or or they're bad but there there was this this desire for the seducers to to totally corrupt those they were seducing. And there was, uh, uh, especially with Madame de Tourvel, the, the married, the married woman for her to share and to get Valmont to change his ways. And that was on both sides. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you if you have read this book. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of the book, maybe some ideas that you got out of it that that I missed. I I would love to hear that. And you can follow Books of Titans at Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And the website is also stock full of resources to help you find the best books and, and to create your own reading list. I'll be back in two weeks to discuss another book or series from my 2021 reading list. So until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.